0: Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morse, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Are you ready? I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am His. He is mine. Therefore, Therefore, my past won't, past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me doesn't scare because you. in His presence is where I live. Amen. You may be seated. Ah, this is the day um, that we celebrate. Uh, It—it's our hope. We've gone through um, Friday where we've seen our Savior bloodied and beaten and uh, crucified and died. And um, we've witnessed Him taking our sins upon Himself on the cross. Uh, We've witnessed uh, through the Scripture of of it is finished and of of all these things. and, And now... Um, as our, the sacrifice for our sins has been given and, and the debt of sin has been uh, taken off of us and put on him, um, we are now walking in one of the greatest, um, celebrating one of the greatest hol- holy days of all and that is his victory over death, right? And so it's not just his victory over death but it is his victory uh, over the power of death which means death no longer is the final thing for us. It has become gone from being final to a transition into his glory. And as he had victory over death, so we will have victory over it. For those who are in Christ Jesus, death is not the final string. And not only out there, but there's the power of the resurrection of our risen Lord that now lives within each and every one of us. That gives us hope, not just for what's coming in the end, but it gives us hope right now. And it gives us power right now. And it gives us the peace And the joy of knowing that he never leaves us or forsakes us. He's always with us. He has triumphed over death. He has triumphed over the demonic realm. He has triumphed over sickness and disease. They are no longer the end. He is the beginning and he is the end for all of us. Amen? So while we'll have our Easter egg hunts and we'll eat chocolate and some of us shouldn't, but we will anyway we'll celebrate that he has risen. we'll celebrate that uh he has power over all things and has given us the power as well amen all right open your bibles if you would um this is uh i thought about hey what should i do it's it's easter you know should i come up in a bunny suit and i thought no that probably wouldn't be good and then uh You know, some people may, that's cool, but unless the bunny suit is kneeling down at the altar asking for forgiveness, it's probably not appropriate. So, um, uh, should I tailor, like, a a special message? And I thought, no, uh, I think I want to keep going on in Mark, and, um, because I, as I was reading and and studying this week, it, it just kept coming back to me that this is important, and, um. To go through, so I have two Bibles today, but I promise I'll get you out in time for the buffet. Amen. Okay, so we're in Mark chapter ten, and this is this is an interesting time because if you're just joining us today, awesome, we're glad to have you. Um, if if you're thinking, hey, I might kind of come back, you know, then there's cards at the end as Ben was talking about. Let us know. And he talked about if you have a prayer request, you can fill it out and put it in the joy box. We we we, we don't hound you with stuff, but. We'd love to sit down and talk with you if, if you'd like that as well, too. Um, uh, but if you're with us, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been st- and everything that we've been looking at, and everybody we've been studying his, about Jesus is about his compassion, and that compassion is what motivated him to do everything, whether he was healing the sick, whether he was um, you know, delivering people, whether he was uh, you know, feeding, manifesting fishes and loaves to feed 5,000 and 4,000 people. All of this was motivated by his compassion for others. And so he just couldn't help himself uh, by giving himself to others and, and giving uh, people what they needed. So, um, so he's motivated by compassion. And so what we're learning so far in this journey through Mark is that for us to be Christ-like, then the thing that has to happen to us is we need to be motivated by the same compassion that he was motivated by. And that's entirely possible because he now lives within us, which means everything he had when he was here on earth has been deposited in us through the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Just want to make sure you believe it. Okay, awesome. So, everything that he walked on earth doing and the compassion that he had on earth is the same compassion that we can have because he lives within us. He lives within us. The struggle then comes, obviously, because uh, we also have a, a sin nature that doesn't want to have compassion for others, it wants to be selfish for me, right? We don't, we, the, the, the flesh is completely opposite from the Spirit, and so where the Spirit says give, the flesh says take. Where the Spirit says give, the flesh says I also want to receive, right? But freely you have received, so freely you must give. So I don't gi- I have to receive before I can give, so once I receive the love, I can give the love. And that's a big problem today, isn't it, is people having an understanding of how to receive love, How to receive it. Because in our default nature, it's about, well, I got to earn it. There's things I've got to do. But from Christ's position, Jesus did everything so that you could just receive it. And if we have a hard time receiving, we'll have a hard time giving. So we, we want to be motivated by the compassion of Jesus. And so uh, in chapter 10, I'm just going to hit chapter 10, a couple spots here, um, and, then, and then we'll be done. And we'll take what we've learned, we'll apply it to our lives, and we'll be better. Amen? Sound good? All right, so here it is in chapter 10. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. The crowds were gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. So that's just Jesus. Wherever there's a crowd, he's motivated compassion. He's either, he's either healing, he's either delivering, he's either feeding, or he's either teaching. That's just what he does. So the crowds begin to come, and he's going to teach them. And um, so while he's doing that, the Pharisees are are around, and the Pharisees are probably debating some things, you know, this idea about marriage and divorce. And so they see Jesus coming, and so they're like, hey, let's ask him. Right? So look what they said there. Um, uh, Some Pharisees came to Jesus, uh, testing him, and they began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. Oh, don't you get sick of these religious people? Always trying to find the line. How how far can we go to sin? And what did and you know, and then he's always being tested, right? We're the religious people. Uh so what, what do we do about divorce? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus is so full of wisdom. I mean, Solomon had wisdom. Not very good follow-through. But Solomon had wisdom. But Jesus has got even better wisdom, and he's got the follow-through with it, right? Where Solomon started out great and kind of failed at the end, down slope, you know. Too many women in your life. That's a problem. So, um, but Jesus, you know, he's, he's, he's got the wisdom. He's walking the life, and then all this, but he's living it, right? And so he throws it right back in their face, doesn't he? Well, what did Moses tell you? Well, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Well, Moses permitted a man to, to um, divorce his wife. Let me read from this translation here. I got two, so I don't want to confuse you. Um, so Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And this is going to be in Deuteronomy, I think, 24, like 1 through 4 or 5, where they're, they're, he, he writes about this, uh, the divorce certificate. And so they're telling him, well, Moses said that... Uh, um, that a man could write a certificate. And what he would do is he would write their certificate and he would place the certificate in the hand of the woman and give her the right foot or left foot boot right out the door and they were divorced. Okay? So, um, they said Moses per- permitted us to do that and then to dismiss her. Now, you could have just left it there, right? Cause, because they already had their answer. But they're just wondering, they're always testing Jesus. And the things they were testing him on is to see if he would violate the law. Like whenever he'd heal on the Sabbath, they'd get all upset and crazy, right? There are six days which to heal, which you could come back then and be healed. Why do you have to heal on the Sabbath, right? They're all angry because the rules aren't being followed. There are certain rules in life, and you must follow them. It's the law. And so Jesus is always upsetting the apple cart with them. Because they don't have any real desire to care about people, but they just require and are excited about people being bondage to a law that they have control over. Okay? I'm glad it's not like that today. Um, So, uh, but Jesus has a response to them that is kind of like, again, once again, his earth-shattering response. responses. He says, because of the hardness of your heart, did he write this to com- this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two shall become one flesh, and they shall no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay, there is so much in that little bit of scripture right there that will just kind of tear apart and and chew for a little bit, if that's all right with you. And hopefully we'll chew it, we'll digest it, and it'll be like vitamins and make us healthy and strong in our spiritual man. Good? Okay, so sometimes the civil laws that you see in the Old Testament Especially when it deals with like uh, divorce or even, if, even slavery and stuff like that that they talk about in the Old Testament. When you see these kinds of things, these laws are given not because God has ordained it to be that way, but sometimes he, he puts laws because he knows of the wickedness and the sinfulness of mankind. So sometimes these things are, happen, it doesn't mean that he's like, uh, uh, yeah, I want you to have a divorce, but these things are written because he knows that the sinfulness of mankind is going to work itself out, and so there's sometimes there are laws that he puts in place, even for just perfection, but it's not his rubber stamp of, yeah, this is, this is the way life is always going to be, this is, this is ordained, this is the law. What he's saying is, that because of the hardness of your heart, because you are going to marry and you are going to divorce and things are going to happen, because of that, we're writing this commandment of of how it should be done, right? And we know that back in the Old Testament, uh, women did not have a voice at all. As a matter of fact, uh, a man could divorce a woman, but a woman really couldn't divorce a man. Now, there may be some, some to, um, uh, fine print where that might be able to happen if you got the, the elders, whoever, in a good day and he was particularly a horrible guy that was treating her, then there's a possibility and if the planets were aligned and the sun was set at the right angle and so on and so forth, that maybe that could happen. But most, no. And, and not only that, but when the woman was divorced, she didn't get to take anything. And if she had a dowry, most likely she lost that too. Very rare would she would get that back. Very rare. And so they, they're debating this, and they're trying to find, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You know, all the power really being with the man. So now I can go write a certificate. And so now I, it, it, she doesn't have to do anything. I just, she's just got to do something to make me mad. I'm going to write a certificate of divorce, and I'm going to show her. I'm going to get her out. And she ain't taking nothing with her. Ugh. And Jesus says, it's because of the hardness of your heart. The hardness, that, that marriage. And he goes on to de- really define marriage. It's like people say, well, Jesus didn't say certain things in the New Testament that, that you guys are saying today. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he really does. If you take the time, and, and one of those answers is right here when he talks about marriage. He said it's because of the hardness of your heart. He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning, from the beginning, from the very first time that God spoke, it was ordained for it to be this way. God made them male and female. From the beginning, God made them Male and female. From the beginning, God made them male and female. Okay? So there is a biological DNA that you are born with that doesn't matter how you feel. It is officially stamped in your DNA of who you are. From the beginning, he made them male and female. Now listen, this is not something to jump on a bandwagon and and beat people with. This is something for us to understand God's bringing people together. Because in, in God's view, the whole purpose of man and woman is to be fruitful and to multiply upon the face of the earth. For what purpose? To display the goodness and the glory of God, okay? Now, as we're going through this, so he, he, he solidifies that this is what marriage comes down to. This is, first of all, this is your identity of how you were made, and then coming together, this is how it works. The man is gonna leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two now are going to become one flesh. They're no longer two in the sense of you got your stuff and I got mine. But it's, it's the same kind of thing as when we talk about the idea of the Trinity. And you won't find the word Trinity, obviously, in the New Testament. But you, we use that word to describe what the New Testament talks about when it comes to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We understand that they are three, but there is a oneness between them. A unity always. And so marriage is given to us as almost like a thing of understanding what this oneness looks like. It's like a, it's like a down payment of experiencing the oneness when, when man and woman come together in marriage. So I'm not coming into my marriage. And most people say, well, I, you know, when, I, when you know, back in the day, people were coming together and getting married and we love each other, and, and they weren't coming into the idea of, of marriage with the idea that, well, I'll just, we'll just get divorced if it doesn't work out." Right? Now, does God like divorce? No, no, he doesn't. But God also understands that divorce happens, and if you go through divorce, that doesn't mean that you are now a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Divorce is not a scarlet letter at all, right? If that were the case, there'd be a lot more scarlet letters, wouldn't there, all right? So we understand that divorce happens for one reason or another. We understand that, you know, so some people will use the Bible to say, it doesn't matter if you're in an abusive relationship. The Bible says you gotta stay in it. Heck no. If you're in an abusive relationship, if your husband is physically abusing you, by all means, get out of the relationship. Go and just stay somewhere else so you're not being physically abused or beaten. That is not God's will for you to be physically beaten and tortured in that relationship. Now, is it God's hope and desire that he repents and changes his heart and the marriage can be restored? Absolutely. But there are times when you, you, gotta, you gotta come away. You've got to get out of that situation. So there are times when divorce is, is necessary. It happens. And there's ways that, that we can go through it. But here's the thing. God doesn't turn his back on you if you go through it. I remember when I was, um, when I went through mine. <gasps> I hope most of you remember because I, I do have a 32-year-old daughter. Right, and we've only been married for fifteen years. Coming up in October, I got it right. (laughs) So in my in my, the religion that I was brought up in, and and I say religion, uh, I took away from that because uh, in a like ninety to ninety three or something like that, uh, when I went through my divorce, it was my scarlet letter. I knew that all I—I I really felt that everything that I felt that maybe God had for me back then was now over because um, I got a divorce, and there are people in churches that would agree with that statement. Unfortunately, see what they do is they do the same thing that the Pharisees did way back when—is they use the letter of the law for control and manipulation instead of freedom and. And and strength And empowerment In Christ Not of yourself But in Christ Okay So I remember going through that That man it was over I I had a scarlet letter On my soul That divorce meant That you couldn't do anything else And all the other things That I did add up to it And then you know Why even go to church Why Because you're never Going to measure up you have this desire to, to see yourself cleansed, to see, you know, the so-called scarlet letters moved away from you. But let me tell you something. Do you think it's more holy that you stay in a relationship hating one another and displaying that hate for one another whenever you get around people? Do you think to yourself that you're holy because you didn't get a divorce as opposed to those that did and are leading healthy lives serving the Lord? You got a messed up theology. See, the idea is 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 not to, nobody wants to go through that. But on the other hand, it's not God's desire on the other hand to just stay in a marriage because of a rule, but yet treat each other like garbage and hate one another. Neither one is healthy. So where do we go? We go back to the middle for the intention of what marriage was supposed to be like. Which it was supposed to be This blessing for mankind For that when God made Eve And she, he brought her to Adam And he woke up And saw this beautiful thing In front of him And he said here Understand something From the intention In the garden It was never about subservient It was about co-leadership Oh we're going to mess With some religious bones today Right <laughs> If not in here, maybe online, because we want to use that Bible because she's got to serve me. She's got to do all this kind of stuff and blah, 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 and bullhorn, bullhorn, bullhorn. <laughs> you can have a relationship like that, and you can beat a woman into submission. And you can also destroy your heart and vice versa. From the beginning, it was not to be that way. From the beginning, it was about man and a woman created for one another, not subservient, not ruling, not authoritative, not under the thumb, but it's about about imperfect relationship together to accomplish the things that God had set them forth to do. Adam didn't say, woman. Adam said, woman. (laughs) Wow, beautiful. So we have to be careful because in the church today, there is so much more Pharisaical leadership than there is the leadership of Jesus, which is trying to exert control and manipulation. And If you don't set yourself, if you don't look just like that, then man, we're going to come after you. And if you've come from a, a, a particular maybe denomination that exercised that point of view, then, then it helps to go back to the scriptures and take off the lens of that denomination and allow the scriptures to pour into your heart with a fresh and open lens and mindset. What are they truly saying? And so Jesus is saying that the law is very tough, which is why, people, he came to fulfill it, because no one can measure up to it. Remember, remember, you've got this woman caught in the act of adultery, right? Right, John 7 or 8? And they they drag her before Jesus. You ever wonder how they caught her in the act? You ever wonder why they didn't drag the guy? I tell you, I believe it's because they've all been to her at one point or another. They know where she's at and they know what she's doing and they know who she's doing it with. And so they grab her because she's just a piece of meat. And they throw her down at the Messiah and they said, Moses said that we get to stone her. And they've got their stones. And I, it's going to be interesting to go to heaven and to look down and find out what exactly Jesus was writing. Because remember, Jesus, finger of God, touching the earth, writing, much like on a mountaintop, finger of God, writing commandments. Right? writing commandments. And what he does there, I think, is instead of focusing on what she did, he focuses on their hearts because he says, okay, you who are without sin can throw the stone. Boy, they were really excited there for a second, weren't they? We get to judge according to the law. You do. But the first one you judge is yourself. So if you want to throw a stone start there first most likely you for yourself would want to experience grace i do jesus wants to extend his grace to you his extending grace to you in the midst of your worst time is not saying that i i i rubber stamp it and your sin is okay that's not what he's saying. His grace to you in the midst of your worst and most difficult time is him saying, I've taken the sin upon me for you so you don't have the debt and you don't even have the consequences from heaven's point of view because he took it on the cross. Oh, but we got to make people pay. Huh. Do we? They won't learn anything unless we make them suffer. People are already suffering. Our job as believers is not to add to the suffering. Our job as to believers is to extend his grace to bring healing and strengthen what is broken in a spirit of gentleness and bring people back. Oh to be like him. Oh, to be like them. And so the thing to ask ourselves in this, in this time is, when we, when we look at things that are going on in the earth, uh, what people are struggling with, do we hurl accusations like stones? Do we say things like, well, they, they did it to themselves, or all this kind of... We've all done it to ourselves. We've all been there. You may not have gone through what I've gone through, but you're just as sinful... You may have not have manifested as much as me. That's actually maybe worse for you. Because you have a hard time seeing yourself for who you really are. All right. So we know that he's good. We know that people mess up. We know that people sin. We know that people get themselves in situations. We know that there is divorce. We, we know all these things can happen. The, the question we have to ask ourselves is what is going to be our response when people fail, when people fall? Are we going to throw the dirt over their grave? Or are we going to show them the power of the resurrected Christ and raise them up out of it? Secondly, Moving on from there. Good stuff? All right. Secondly, let's look at uh, verse 17. This is the rich young ruler. So now we see, hear my heart here. Now we see that Pharisees and people are not understanding what it means to be in a covenant relationship with another person. Because they're ready to write a certificate of divorce anytime they want to because they have the power. So their covenant relationship, possibly, is not based upon love. Is based upon control and manipulation. Now, understand now what, what Joseph was going through when Mary got pregnant in this time. Because the Bible says he was looking to put her away quietly. Write her that certificate of divorce. He could have had her stoned. He could have had her really publicly embarrassed and all that. But in his heart, he was still executing grace by trying to put her away quietly. I, she, he's not believing the Holy Spirit thing, right? So put her away quietly because he still loved her. He's got to get a vision, right? And then they get married. But I, I believe he was still exercising grace by wanting to do it quietly. And not raise a whole lot of ruckus about it. So there's covenant relationship with each other. Now look at the rich young ruler. Um, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you were a rabbi or if you were discipling people, most people would, would as a um, gesture of honor, would call you, like, good teacher or something like that, right? And then Jesus responds to him and says, why do you call me good? Again, a lot of times the rabbis would respond, why do you call me good? It was a sign in the culture of, of humility, if you will, that why do you call me good? There's only good but God, right? So, well, good teacher, don't call me good. God is good, right? Okay? So, Jesus, this is where this is coming from. Good teacher, why do you call me good? Um, What do I do to have eternal life? Why do you call me good? There's no good but God. And you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Okay, now listen. Uh, There's two ways to take this, and I'm I'm not sold on the fact that he was referring to his perfection according to the law. I think what he's referring to is when he had his uh, bar mitzvah at 13 he was considered an adult and he's been trying to keep the law since then right so they would, they would be uh, discipled in the law and they'd have their bar mitzvah and they would re, re, recite the Torah and all that different kind of stuff and then you'd have your parties and, and now at 13 years old, age he was considered a man and he would come and, and sit with the men now keep his mouth shut at 13 but still be a part and and so there was this there was this transition in the culture from you are a child to now we see you as an adult you've you've started growing in the Torah into the word of God and we're bringing you along and you're you're going to be you're going to be seen as a man but you're also going to be treated as a man right okay today if we were to have bar mitzvah, bar mitzvahs for people today for young men or bat mitzvahs for young women, it'd probably be around 30. It'd probably be around 30 or so, maybe a little higher, the way our culture is. You, you, may, you may go through the process of biologically things turning on and becoming a man, but it seems to be prolonged Uh, Later on down the years Later on down the road To where true maturity comes That's just our culture And we I think we sadly miss uh, Where older men Are looking at younger men And calling them into maturity Far earlier than we do Or we don't We're not doing it well at all Right Sometimes there's more Of a rubber stamping What they do Instead of calling them Into something more Right that has been lost as a culture. So he says to him, I, I've done these things from my youth, right? I, I've been in the law, I've studied this thing. And Jesus is looking at him and he says, uh, uh, looking at him, and Jesus felt love for him. Now, here it is love, compassion. He looks at this guy, and there's a love that is reaching out. And he says, Oh, then there's one thing you lack. There's one thing you lack. Go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And you have treasure in heaven And come follow me Let me tell you something people We think that's Some of you think man I I wish the ruler would have done that Right why didn't he do that Turn the question on yourself Turn it on yourself Because that Again the first reflection of the scripture Is not about the guy who didn't do it It's about you who are reading it See, there's an invitation that Jesus gives. If I were to have an altar call today, that's called an invitation for you to come to salvation. But it would not be a good altar call if there was nothing that you laid down on the altar and walked away from. See, that he says to the ruler, there's one thing you lack. Oh, you follow the law? You know what to do with that? Oh, there's one thing you lack. Then sell everything you have, give to the poor. Now, what we'll do with that is we'll bring all different kinds of different types of doctrine of why Jesus doesn't really mean what he means. And what it is, is an escape clause for not to give him everything. This is not a message against rich people. We need rich people. We need people who know how to do business and make money and and support the business. We do need that. But what Jesus is saying here is that whether this this rich young ruler had allowed his possessions to become his identity and to become his God. And because of that, Jesus is saying, come follow me. Leave everything else, give to the poor, come follow me. Because the invitation I have for you is not about bringing your stuff with you, it's not about your love of money, it's about you following me, me and receiving a treasure that far, seas, far exceeds anything you can have on this earth. But unfortunately, we spend so much time trying to build what we think we need and desire on the earth that we forget about treasures in heaven. See, this life is brief, people. Your life is but a vapor where it's there for a second, and then it's gone. In talking to my father before he died, you want to know one of some of the things he said? I asked my dad, what's it like being like 84, 85? He's like, in my mind, I, I, it's like I'm 18. He's like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm 84 my his body does we get that but his mind was like I just I don't feel that which I understand what he's saying because you know I'm going to be turning 52 this month I, I don't when I looked at 52 when I was younger what I saw was well old people and maturity what I thought was maturity what I thought was you know my dad at 52 strong you know or other people, my uncles and other people like, all oh, 52, mature, set, working, all this different kind of stuff. But me at 52, I'm like, hmm, I still feel like I'm 18. Not like silliness, but just youthful. I hope that doesn't go away. But on the other hand, it's like you, you don't necessarily feel like you have arrived when you hit a certain age. Maybe 100. I haven't been there. How long you got to go, Roger? We'll ask you then. You got a little ways. I don't know. I don't know what the magical age is when you feel like you've arrived. I don't know. I don't know if there is one. But my dad would say I don't I don't my Now listen, my dad was wise. My dad was all those things about maturity. He was just saying I I don't feel 84 in my spirit and in my and in my mind. Um and so Uh, But at 13, they would bring people up. Now, this rich young ruler, I, I, I don't know a whole lot more about him than what the scripture really teaches us, but we do find out that he walked away sad because he saw the invitation that Jesus, and there was some part of his heart that wanted it, but there's the other part of his heart that was tugging him back saying, you can't give up everything. See, the invitation that Jesus gives is always about everything of you. There's there's things you, you come to the altar or you nail it to the cross and you don't take it back. It doesn't go with you on the invitation to follow him. We ask ourselves, what does he ask me to lay down for this invitation of this journey to follow him? Is it my wealth? Is it my life? See, we think about these things, but if you will indulge me for a second, I'm looking at a second row here of two families who have said yes to his call to go to the nations. I don't, they don't get to take American Christianity and comfort with them to Honduras or Brazil or Peru or Colombia wherever you're at at the time. Right? They're not taking American Christianity to these places. They've accepted the invitation to follow Him and the call to leave a life behind to pursue His calling in their life. And He does that to every single one of us. No, you may not be called to go to the nations. Excuse me. Thank you. You may not be called to go and give your life to the nations, but you are called to give your life to the nation that you live in. So you've got to sort that out of what that means to you. This is not not a call for you to go and do something drastic right now. This is not what I'm talking about. This is for you to process through with the Lord of what is he calling for you to do, what must be chipped off me in order to embrace that call. And I don't want to be a rich young ruler who backs away because I love my life right now, not willingly desiring to go forth in the life that he's called me to. so here's the other side of the covenant relationship he was invited into a covenant relationship with the God of the universe and he looked at the other things that he had and in his mind I'm thinking there's no way I can give up these things that I've worked so hard on to get to embrace the relationship that's offered to me by the God of the universe and my fear is that there are far more people who do that than there are that accept the call of his relationship. So you have two aspects of covenant relationship with here. The covenant relationship with God, where if that's not going good, I'm gonna have a hard time living in a covenant relationship with a wife or a husband. And so the thing then is to say, well, I... I look at this relationship with God, this offer that he has given me. He's given everybody in this room. It's this invitation to come and follow me. And we get it. Take up the cross and follow him, right? We understand. Sell everything you have and come follow me. What he's saying, listen, if if we're going to be in relationship, there's nothing that's going to be more important than our relationship. Can you imagine marrying somebody and said, listen, the the wife comes up and says, listen, I'm going to, I love you. We're going to live together, but I'm also going to sleep with this other guy once in a while. Great. Wonderful. I get you 95% of the time. Yeah. With a guy. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you a house. I'm going to give you all these different kinds of things, but... When the weekend comes, I got to do my thing. Uh, No. But we see that in relationships today with men and women because they've accepted far less than what God has ordained for them to have with Him and with each other. So the first thing is to examine this heart. And for those of you who aren't married yet Or for those of you who have walked through divorce And you're, you're hoping to be married someday Listen This is that you got a chance to do it right First comes this the Relationship with him And then I'm able to extend that To a relationship with someone else and, and the goal is Is that this person over here Who I want to be in a covenant relationship Has a covenant relationship with With the father as well too So I have a relationship with the father Through the son She has a relationship with the father Through the son And now we're going to have a relationship with one another An unbroken circle That strengthens and encourages So that way if I'm weak They may be strong and vice versa and then maybe sometime we're both weak and struggling, but the Father gives us his strength. The question is, is where are you at in the midst of all these things that Jesus is teaching us through his word? And not only maybe like where are you at, but, but how do you respond when people close to you are going through these tough times as well? Will you extend grace? Have you received grace? Because I'm telling you, he has done everything that he can possibly do for you to experience his goodness by giving you the gift of love of his son. He has removed your sin from you through Jesus Christ. And to all that will receive him, he has granted the right to become children of him. That is the power of today. That there is restored covenant relationship here and that there can be restored covenant relationship here. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at Aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.